0: Hi,
1: everyone. Welcome to the February 26, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dazzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. The results of the independent investigation into the death of 23 year old Elijah McLean were released this week. The investigation determined that there was not a viable reason for Elijah McLean to have been detained and that once McLean was in custody, the officers used excessive force. The investigation also includes findings regarding the response from paramedics and how the events were investigated initially. Patty Cahoon from Westward, with what we learned from this investigation so far, what does Aurora need to do with the results?
0: Aurora needs to really clean up what's left of a lot of the regime that was there. You know, we we started writing about this story shortly after Elijah died in the end of August 2019, and it didn't really pick up a lot of interest, and that includes with Aurora officials until the George Floyd murder and the subsequent protests. But from the start, this just looked horrible. All you had to do was listen to the 911 call where someone had called to report. Someone was kind of suspicious but didn't really sound worried about it because it was a young man with a mask on, dancing. In my neighborhood, that's pretty normal. But Aurora overreacted. They had the cops. They encountered him. From what we know now about Elijah, he had some definite issues. He said, don't touch me. I'm I'm not good at being touched but he was very clear about the fact that he was uncomfortable but there was nothing he did that was menacing you've got these rumors that there was a gun you know that he was about to do something the Aurora police response was horrible the paramedic response was bad but then you see Aurora's own investigations initially were truly awful and that's that's what's horrifying we have more investigations coming considering this is the one commissioned by Aurora and we still have federal investigations Colorado Attorney General investigations we can only assume it's going to look worse from here.
1: David Kopel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School, uh, when we see results of an investigation like this, do you think there's probably some legal implications involved? <laughs>
2: um, yes, and if I were the Aurora treasurer, I would be uh, setting money aside for a quite substantial uh, financial judgment. You know, the, uh, Reason Magazine covered this, and their their headline was that he was killed by a cascade of constitutional violations, which is Exactly right. A police officer can always come up to somebody and try to engage them in a conversation, but uh, the person doesn't have to engage and and can walk away. The person can only be detained for an investigative stop if there is reasonable suspicion of criminal activity. As the report said, there was zero of that. Wearing a mask and uh, sweatpants and a long sleeve shirt in August is unusual, but it's not there's there's no suspicion there. McLean said, "I have a right to walk where I'm. To, I have a right to walk where I'm going. I have a right to walk to where I'm going." And an officer replied, "I have a right to stop you because you're being suspicious." McLean was right; the officer was wrong. Then, in an investigatory stop, an individual can be frisked only if there's reasonable suspicion that the person is armed, of which there was none in this case. And then the police arrested him by placing him face down on the grass. And an arrest is constitutional only when there's probable cause that someone has committed a crime. But they didn't even have reasonable suspicion of a crime, let alone probable cause. And then he ended up being killed uh, by what would be uh, perhaps at least medical malpractice uh, of being injected with uh, ketamine, which is a sedative, even though he had been quiet and, and not moving for a minute before the injection.
1: Eric Sonneman, uh, calmness with both Colorado Politics and the Denver Gazette. We go to you next with this one. Uh, With so many factors in play here, this was not just the police problem. I mean, David laid out a a great uh, litany of the problems there, but we go to the paramedics, we go to the investigation afterwards. Where does Aurora begin to begin to address this?
3: Wow. The the first way you begin to address anything, Dominic, as you know, is to, to tell the truth and respect the truth. I think there were really two outrages here. One is that the the predominant outrage of what happened to Elijah McClain, but the second outrage is how long and how difficult it was to get at this report and to get at the truth. Uh, In terms of Elijah McClain, there was no good reason he was stopped. There was no good reason he was detained. There was no good reason that he should be injected with ketamine. And all of that adds up to that there was no good reason that he wound up dead. Uh, this is a long, tragic case. I'm glad we got to this point now. Uh, The Washington Post had an excellent column this past week by one of their main columnists, David Von I would commend that to viewers to go check out uh, on this as a microcosm for what has happened around the country. Uh, May he rest in peace.
1: Marianne Goodland joins us, Chief State House Reporter with Colorado Politics. Marianne, do you think there's going to be uh, at least an attempt to respond to some of the issues brought up in this investigation at the state level?
4: I think it's a really good question. Um, the next step, I think, in addition to whatever action that Aurora decides to take, is to watch what Attorney General Phil Weiser does with this. Governor Polis appointed him as a special counsel to look into this. And what what I have been intrigued by is how these cases are being handled around the nation. The Attorney General of New York, Letitia James, announced a grand jury that she convened, refused to indict Rochester, New York police officers for the homicide of Daniel Prude, a black man who was having a mental health crisis. You had a similar situation in Kentucky where the uh, grand jury uh, complained that they weren't really given all the information they needed and their Attorney General uh, and they and they wound up not returning an indictment here. So the question becomes, if Wiser convenes a grand jury, what is it going to look at? Is it going to look at the police officers who were involved? Um, Polis amended that order that, uh, for the special counsel back in November. So will they look at the police officers or are they also going to look at charges for the paramedics who who appeared to go overboard on their use of ketamine?
1: Mayor Hancock has announced that Denver police officers will no longer be the first responders for calls related to homelessness, including ones resulting in sweeps. Hancock says that while police will still patrol homeless sweeps, he plans to divert other frontline responsibilities to a team of civilians. Current plans are for the teams to include outreach, behavioral health, and human service workers. David, is this a good call?
2: In, in part, Um, And and very well reported by Westward, by the way. And all you people who think Westward is just a collection of marijuana ads and sex advice, um, look at their online, which might be sort of true in print, but look look up their daily online reporting, which has really gotten quite good. Uh, it, it's a good idea to send a mental health uh, worker for someone who's having a mental health crisis because they've got the skills that, uh, that officers don't. And likewise, if a social worker can help somebody get off the streets, that that's great. But the new city policy goes much further than that. According to Amando. Uh, Saldate, who's the head of the the city's early intervention team, the police will stop responding to, quote, right-of-way encumbrances, trespassing, and violation of the urban camping ordinance. So what if somebody's camping on your property? Well, according to what the early intervention team says, they'll go to the site of the complaint, assess the situation, offer services to residents, such as a connection to food stamps, and then they'll follow up with the person who called in the complaint. So they'll say, oh, yeah, the guy is camping on your property. We we just helped him get some food stamps. What about the rights of the person who lives on that property uh, and their right not to have someone move on to it?
1: Eric, we go to you next. It seems that this is at least attempting to look at the myriad issues that are involved in homelessness. It's not, as you've mentioned many times, it's not one giant monolith of a problem. There's a lot of individual issues here. Is this the right way to go about it?
3: I think it's probably a move in the right direction. Uh, Police officers are essential. There can be no doubt about that, but they are not best suited for every circumstance. And in a bunch of these circumstances, mental health professionals, case workers and others are probably best suited to be in the front line. As long as police officers are then in the second or third line, and as David points out, I might use different words, but as David points out, so long as there's no slackening here of enforcement of camping bans and that there's a balance of interests. Yes, there are people who of necessity are on the streets. There are also many people who are choosing to be on the streets. And as you pointed out, Dominic, there are myriad reasons why people end up there. But uh, the rights are not all on one side or all on the other side. And the residents of this city and other cities also have a right to the use and enjoyment of their property. So as long as there's not a slackening of enforcement, let's give this a shot.
1: Miranda, any time I hear an elected official say we're going to improve or increase the resources here, I think about that there's also a price tag involved. So clearly the city of Denver is going to be spending more here. Uh, Is this the right place to be spending more resources? And is is that going to be a problem for Mayor Hancock?
4: I, I, I think Hancock should be applauded for taking a step that has worked very well in other cities and other states california washington state and arizona have all done something like this the problem of of uh people who are unhoused camping around the city has just exploded in the last 2 years uh certainly with the pandemic it's made it worse so i don't i don't know that he had much of a choice and, and he, the city is already getting sued um, by multiple organizations over the way they're handling this. This might be a way of t- turning down the heat on this issue and actually doing something that could at least help uh, those who are unhoused find a way forward.
1: Patty, as David mentioned, you had a lot of reporting at Westward about this. Uh, what are some of the details that we need to know?
0: Well, that you can pick this up in the print edition along with all those sex and pot ads. <laughs> Connor McCormick Cavanaugh's story is in there. And it's a really good one. He was the first one to really write about this early intervention unit that was introduced back, back in October. And it was actually Murphy Robinson, the new head of safety, who worked with Mayor Hancock to come up with this idea. And it's not just that when someone calls 311, you don't need to send a police officer out because there's a tent on the right of way. It, if you start early and you have people who know how to intervene and offer help to the one or two people who are camped there, you're not going to suddenly have 20 people camped there or 30 people camped there. So a lot of this was to intervene early before the big homeless encampments pop up, which we've seen have become a major issue around the state, the city this summer and other places um, around the state too. So it's a smart move. They're moving it out of public safety, which Murphy Robinson runs, Uh, just to make sure that it does not become a police operation. Police still have to go if there's a suggestion of crime, like drug dealing. They're going to go if they have to do a big sweep. They're going to be there to keep the peace on a sweep. But this is really one for the social workers, for the health workers. And I think the city will be able to do it without really breaking the budget. They'll be able to just juggle. Good.
1: Colorado lawmakers have proposed a ban on the use of American Indian mascots for all schools. If the bill is passed, schools will face a fine of $25,000 for every month the mascot remains. Meanwhile, the proposed Sand Creek Master Memorial received its first hearing in front of the Capitol Building Advisory Committee this week. Eric, we start with you on this one. Um, We've seen bills like this one about mascots before, but at least currently, and it's just been proposed, this bill has pretty significant teeth in it. I don't know if that'll last all the way through any sort of proposal, but what do you think of what we've heard this week on this issue?
3: Well, there are really two issues here, Dominic, and they're tied together. There's much to talk about, but I want to get to uh, Mary Ann who comes after me because she's done some excellent reporting on both of these issues for Colorado politics and the Gazette papers on the mascots. I grew up many, many years ago as a proud Palmer terror in Colorado Springs, Colorado. The mascot then was some silly Indian caricature named Eagle Peak. Fortunately, they have gotten rid of that caricature long ago. But there are others around the state. I think of the Lamar Savages. and I know there's pride in that community, but you just can't have that in this day and age. There's just no excuse for it. I think this bill is probably overdue as long as there are carve outs, uh, perhaps for the Arapaho Warriors or other schools that have worked out some kind of an arrangement with the tribes affected real quickly on the statute. Um, I'm all in favor of honoring the victims of the Sand Creek Memorial. I think the staff that is being designed, proposed, a beautiful statue, a beautiful recollection. The question is where it goes. And I identify with the sentiments of former Governor Bill Owens, of uh, prominent Republican Dick Wadhams and others, that to put it in that place of honor right outside the west steps of the Capitol where we just had a Civil War memorial torn down is not the right place. Put it on the Capitol grounds but we can't allow mob rule to dictate what goes where and let's not put it in that particular place outside the west doors.
1: Marianne, as Eric alluded, you've been uh, one of our great reporters on the scene on both of these issues. What do we need to know about what's going on?
4: There was a comment made in the meeting of the Capital Development Committee, which looked at the Sand Creek Memorial yesterday, uh, Thursday, that I found really, really interesting. Um, One of the tribal representatives called what's going on right now a day of reckoning. And so we have the the mascot bill, uh, which has been coming forward for years. Um, This is is not a new issue. The Sand Creek Memorial, same thing. That's been under consideration since 2016. Uh, And now the Capital Development Committee is going to be in a position in a couple of weeks to make a decision about that site. And and there is some fair amount of pushback that's coming on this, including I'm hearing rumors of a ballot measure that may go after this whole issue. But there's a third piece on this, too. And this has to do with this rather unwieldy name of the Geographic Naming Board. Next month, um, they're going to start looking at proposals that have also been sitting dormant for uh, five, six years now that have been waiting on action for years to rename certain geographic landmarks in Colorado. The first one on the list is likely to be mount evans and there's at least three or four proposals uh, being floated around for for that name so so it you know it looks like there's this this groundswell of finally wanting to resolve issues that indigenous peoples have been raising in colorado for a very very long time and it'll be interesting to see how all this shakes out because all of this runs through the legislature
1: Patty, uh, Marianne's right. We've been talking about these issues for quite a while in various forms throughout the years. But uh, what's different about this time that we need to know about?
0: that people are actually listening more than they used to. I did the story back when the Sand Creek exhibit opened at History Colorado without consulting the tribes appropriately, and they were so upset that ultimately it was closed and it's never reopened. They're still working on another one. In 2014, Governor Hickenlooper, after consulting with all governors, including Owens, past all past governors of Colorado, actually apologized on behalf of Colorado to the descendants of the Sand Creek Massacre on the 150th anniversary, and that was right on those west steps. The fact that the toppling of the Civil War statue went down just seemed like convenient in a lot of ways, and also like a reckoning in a lot of ways, that it made it a perfect spot to put the memorial that the tribes have been pushing for for six years. I've been at most of those meetings. Um, There's some uh, concern about the design, and now we have the backup concern. That it should it shouldn't be given to the tribes that it should instead be the memorial soldier again. So I think we're going to see it wind up on the ballot measure because it looked like it was a fast move through the legislature to put the Sand Creek memorial there until recently. And now I think if it's decided one way, it'll go to the ballot.
1: David, this issue, uh, both these issues are, are rife with a lot of uh, history in Colorado. Uh, how do you think it's going to at least be written? in the weeks ahead here?
2: Well, the, the history of the reckoning starts with, in 1865, Governor Evans was fired by Secretary of State Stanton for his incompetence in the the whole matter, and uh, the federal government uh, apologized with, in, by treaty in 1865 and paid reparations to uh, uh, uh families of the, uh, the victims at Sand Creek. Uh, but this, this week's uh, choice for worst reporting in Colorado fairly easily goes to the Associated Press, whose article yesterday said that the statue was depicting a Union Army soldier who helped carry out the Sand Creek Massacre. Absolutely false. The statue doesn't portray any individual. As Governor Polis said, the statue, quote, commemorates the Union heroes of the Civil War who fought and lost their lives to end slavery. The Colorado Volunteers saved Colorado from Confederate invasion by winning the Battle of Glorieta Pass in New Mexico in March of 1862. And then many of them volunteered to go east, where more of them lost their lives fighting the Confederacy in Kansas, Missouri, and Arkansas. The monument should be restored and it should be returned to its place of honor. The Capitol and the Civic Center have plenty of other good locations for an Indian memorial.
1: Amber McReynolds, former head of the Denver Elections Division, has been nominated by President Biden for a seat on the United States States Postal Service Governing Board. As the current chief executive of the National Vote at Home Institute, McReynolds has helped expand mail-in voting voting across the country. Uh, Marianne, we go to you for a quick take on this one. Do you think there's going to be any problems with McReynolds getting uh, approved to the board?
4: I don't, she is considered to be the guru of the national vote uh, by mail movement. Um, she's she's very well liked, she's enormously respected, one of the, the country's best experts on mail-in voting. Uh, I think what will be interesting is what happens when these three nominees that President Biden uh, put up this week, what happens to uh, Postmaster General Louis DeJoy uh, once, they, once they get on the governing board Uh, DeJoy told a congressional oversight committee this week that I'm not going anywhere and get used to me. Um, It kind of reminded me of the TV show uh, Hell's Kitchen when someone says, I'm going to excel in whatever dish they're preparing that week. You know the exact opposite is about to happen.
1: (laughs) Perfect way to work in a cooking show to politics there. I like that, Marianne. Uh, Patty, uh, what should we expect from the nomination and any fireworks or other implications ahead?
0: Well, I think she will be. Not, she will definitely get through. She has impeccable records on this. If you look at how Colorado's voting has gone, it the mail-in balloting has been a big success. Oh, you know, it's fine-tuned over the years. But if we look at the November election, the participation level, the lack of voter fraud, Colorado has done very well, and a lot of that is thanks to her start. Let's point out that there's a lot more that the U.S. Postal Service does besides just deliver ballots. So. Good luck to you, Amber McReynolds. That is a job I wouldn't wish on anyone. <laughs> uh,
1: uh, David, uh, as usual, Patty brings up a good point. Uh, uh, mail and ballots are a big deal uh, for Colorado and a major issue, but that is a small part of what the USPS does. Uh, what do you think of the nomination of McReynolds?
2: Oh, it's a great honor, and as people say, she's very well qualified, but it's sort of like being named to the Board of Trustees of of the Titanic two hours after it hit the iceberg. Uh, As Jared Polis uh, explained in depth in an issue paper for the Independence Institute, the U.S. Postal Service just does not have a financially uh, sustainable model. And, of course, she's also got to deal with the uh, conspiracy nuts who uh, last summer were saying the Postal Service was trying to deliberately suppress mail-in votes, which was just as nutty and, and fraudulent and crazy as uh, Trump's later campaign about complaints about uh, supposedly supposed election fraud.
1: Eric, we go to you to wrap it up for us.
3: Good line on David's part. Uh, Amber McReynolds is a friend, but more than that, she is an asset to the state. She is an asset to this country. Congrats to her. Uh, Good for President Biden for the nomination. It is not an easy task. It is a heavy lift for all of the reasons that have been pointed out that have a lot more to do than just with mail-in voting. But she'll be there as a champion of mail-in voting.
1: It's time for our very favorite part of the show. As always, Patty, please start us off.
0: Well, Colorado has done well with working on its legislative redistricting, its congressional redistricting, redistricting committees. They'll be finalized on Monday. Unfortunately, what isn't working out is the U.S. census timeline, which may make it impossible for these groups to do what they're supposed to do by on time with redistricting.
1: Dave, we go to you. I, I, I was my own disgrace, but I'm not saying this is our disgrace of the week <laughs> section. So, David, it's your turn.
2: <laughs> uh, Tay Anderson accused us uh, radio host, Stefan Tubbs, of being a Klansman. More ridiculous hate speech from a guy who's clearly trying to top Lauren Boebert as being the, the uh, silliest person in Colorado. And by the way, Tay Anderson is the guy who's opposed to interracial dating, uh, which actually is much more of a Ku Klux Klan position uh, than anything Stefan Tubbs has ever said.
1: Eric, we go to you for your Disgrace of the Week.
3: Right on to both Patty and to David. Uh, speaking of the last topic of mail-in voting, there was a forum last night of the candidates running for state Republican chair and four out of the five and the fifth who didn't join and has no chance of being elected. But all the serious candidates are doubling and tripling down on this notion of a stolen election, a fraudulent election. If the Colorado Republican Party ever wants to get back into the game, might want to start by dealing with reality and dealing with voters where they are.
1: I I thought I was telling, Eric, you brought that up, that you hear from people like Dick Waddams, who was one of the last field generals to really win a lot of Republican elections in Colorado. You go back to when when was the last time you saw a lot of U.S. senators from Colorado that were Republican or governors? Dick Waddams was all over those campaigns. And he's the one out there talking to Republicans right now saying, the first thing is to admit where we're at right now, embrace reality, move forward. And what we're hearing from GOP state chair nominees is just the opposite. It's very telling. Good point, Eric. Marianne, we go to you for your Disgrace of the Week.
4: My Disgrace of the Week is, is somewhat personal. Blake McCoy is an anchor for the Fox affiliate in Washington, D.C. This week, he tweeted that he was annoyed obese people of all ages get priority vaccine access before all essential workers. When most stayed home, we went into work every day last March, April, and May, and every day since then, putting ourselves and loved ones at risk. Vaccinate all essential workers, then the obese. And I got to tell you, I took this one kind of personally. I replied that, yes, I'm obese. I haven't missed a day of work during the pandemic. And in fact, I put in a lot of extra hours to keep our readers informed. McCoy later deleted that tweet and posted a very hollow apology. And that got him suspended. I got the vaccine this month, not because of my weight, but because I'm a journalist at the state capitol. And I'm happy to say a darn good one.
1: I would agree with you on that one, Marianne. Well said. Time to say something nice about somebody, Patty.
0: We've talked about voting. Colorado-based Dominion Voting Systems, which is now filing suits against everyone who has in- accused them of having rigged the election. Most recently, the Pillow Kingdom, Mike Liddell. P- but I have to congratulate to bring to the sex acts uh, the porn site that is no longer allowing allowing their actresses to have pillow fights with my pillows. <laughs>
1: taking a stand. David.
2: (laughs) Marion, by the way, is... I think, a great example of a journalist who clearly has strong personal left-leaning policy convictions, uh, but does a good job of writing fair and accurate stories. Uh, the Jewish holiday of Purim began at sundown on Thursday night, and the short synopsis of it is that the uh, people tried to kill all the Jews in the Babylonian Empire, and the Babylonian Jews fought back and uh, won and saved themselves, which is the classic Jewish holiday theme. They tried to kill us, they failed, let's see,
1: <laughs> Eric, we go to you.
3: It is a great holiday theme. Uh, Jason Dunn, who just stepped down this week as U.S. Attorney for Colorado, a uh, great attorney, a man of integrity who shows that it was possible to be part, it was too rare, but it was possible to be part of Donald Trump's administration and do the right thing and acknowledge the election outcome, leave when it was time to leave and conduct yourself with integrity. And on top of that, today's his 50th birthday.
1: Marianne, you get the last word.
4: A salute to the school districts along the Front Range who decided Thursday should be a snow day instead of a remote learning day. Kids still need to have days when they can be kids.
1: Here, here. long live the snow day. That is indeed all the time we have here for Colorado Inside Out. On behalf of everybody here at PBS 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.
0: you